And um, uh, I want to, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open it up to Mark chapter 6, Matthew chapter 16 with me real quick. And uh, this is the uh, passage that is a great revelation, Jesus asking the disciples, who do men, who do you say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And Jesus uh, is, is asking this question. It's interesting, if you look at this in verse, Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, and Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And it's important where he's doing this at. Caesarea Philippi was a uh, town that was dedicated, was a district that was dedicated to Caesar, to the Romans. And uh, actually Herod, the king at that time, built a temple there to Caesar. You know, Herod was not a godly man, as you, as you well know. Uh, and he had actually built a temple to the Caesars there in, uh, right there in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is asking his disciples, who do you say that I, the son of man, man, am? And I think there's a real significance to this, why he's asking them in this particular area. Um, not only was there a temple there, uh, but just to kind of understand how the, the Rome is the primary uh, rulership from all the way from India to England. So every, the, the, the world that people would have known at that time is under Roman rule. Some, when there was a problem in some districts, it might take them a year to get there. To, to, so they had this Roman army they were tweaked and they were strong and they were uh, capable of going in and just wiping out whole communities. And so um, they, had a, they, they were vicious. The Romans were a vicious people, the way that they ruled, uh, their torture that they did, public displays of torture. And uh, so Jesus is right by Caesarea Philippi, this place that's dedicated to Caesar, and he asks his disciples, who do you guys say that I am? Who am I to you? And... Uh, as we look on here, it says that, and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and others say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, okay, so what do you guys say? What are you saying that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So let's just kind of break that down for just a moment. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one that we have been looking for, the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now that, you know, to say the Messiah would be one thing, but to say that you're the son of the living God, that really steps beyond the boundaries of the, the, the Jewish mindset, okay? Um, what Peter just said in the Jewish mindset would be blasphemy what he just said. It would be blasphemy. I mean, he could be stoned for saying this. I mean, it was that, it's that strong of a statement and would have been. Remember when Jesus said that he was the son of God, they ran him out of the temple. I mean, they did not, they ran him out of the synagogue. They, they were ready to kill him. And so when you look at this and you see that Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus answered him and he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So when we look at this in context, we see that there is a revelation 
that has come to Peter from the heaven about who Jesus is, that he is the son of the living God and that he is the Messiah. And of course, he's speaking and Peter was speaking for the whole group here. Now, I don't want to read on any further there because I just want to focus on that aspect of it because today in our Apostles' Creed, we're up to the idea where we've done, I believe, God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and then we've talked about now in Jesus Christ, his only son, his only son. And that's uh, where we're at in the creed. In fact, I'm going to ask you if you just put your Bible down and go ahead and stand up for just a minute. And uh, I'd like us to do the creed together if we could this morning, and I know we've got it up there, and, um, and uh, we'll read it together. Uh, ready? Read. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Is, hang on. Is it not on there? All right, I'll read it, you agree to it. <laughs> Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. So when we talk about Jesus here, we see that two of these aspects are revealed. The revelation that Peter got are mentioned right here in the creed where it says that I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, and then goes on and says, our Lord, our Lord who we have submitted to. And so the, 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 the idea that I want to deal with this morning in this message is the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are four basic revelations that we as God's people should have about the Lord Jesus Christ. One is, is that Jesus is our Savior. He is our Savior. And you can write these down if you want to. I've got a bunch of verses that I'll give to you, but Jesus is our Savior. Jesus also is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus also is our healer. Jesus is our healer. And then the last one is that Jesus, uh, Jesus is our soon and coming King. So those four things are revelations that we should have. Now, Primarily in the church, what has happened is, is that through the years is we have focused on the idea that Jesus is our Savior, which he is our Savior, that he is the, as Sharon talked about, he is the propitiation of our sins. I love this uh, quote I had found on talking about Jesus, that he is coexistent and co-eternal with the Father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, took upon himself the form of man, bore our sins, carried our sorrows, and by the shedding of his precious blood upon the cross of Calvary, purchased redemption for all that would believe upon him. Can you say amen? amen. Then bursting the bonds of death and hell, rose from the grave, ascended on high, leading captivity captive, that as the great mediator between God and man, he might stand at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for those whom he laid his life down for. Powerful, isn't it? 
So the idea here is, is that there is a revelation that comes from the Father to our lives. And I feel and believe that we should experience all four aspects of this in our lives of who Jesus is. That he is not just our Savior, that he didn't just save us from sin and that we're hanging out until we can get into eternity, you know, to cross the realm into heaven's eternity, but that Jesus is our Savior now, was now and will be, but he's also our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is also, that he is our healer and that he is our soon and coming king. And these are attributes and aspects that we should be looking to Jesus for. You know, most of what Jesus has talked about in the church is about him dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. But remember that in all that he did, that his ultimate plan wasn't just to die on the cross and to raise from the dead, but was that he could impart the Holy Spirit into our lives. That God didn't want to just be around us. He wanted to be in us and cover us in his presence and his power. Now, Jesus is our Savior. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Titus 2.14 says, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, Jesus is praying for you right now. What is he praying over your life right now? That you will be saved to the uttermost. Not just that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, but you will be saved spirit, soul, and body. That you will be consecrated on every level and every dimension of what Jesus has procured for you. See, I think what happens is, is that the devil wants to rob. Satan has really worked hard to rob the church from what Jesus did for them. I really believe that. I believe that there has been an effort that has been ongoing to deceive mankind from the benefit by lying to them, by deceiving them, by confusing mankind in the church from, to rob them from the baptism in the Holy Spirit, from that Jesus is our healer, that Jesus is our soon and coming king. There are all kinds of disputes. You know, when we talk about Jesus is our savior, predominantly in the church, that's accepted across the board. You know, most churches, whether they're Baptist or fundamentalist or they're Presbyterian or they're going to be Methodist or, they're, or, or Catholic, they're all going to, Roman Catholic, they're all going to say, yeah, we believe that Jesus is our Savior. But the problem with that is, is that there's so much more that Jesus wanted to do and reveal himself to the church that it ended with that. And the enemy knew that if they could rob the church from the benefits of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they could rob the power out of the church. And I'll show you that in just a minute. Now, there is a pressure. If that is where we stand, that Jesus is our Savior, there is a pressure that continues, a tension that continues to try to work against the believer that's to, to, to say that, but did he really? Remember that the devil's tactic is to question what God has said. That's the devil's tactic. 
Well, did he really? Is that really what he said? Remember Adam and Eve, they, they, you know, they're standing in the garden and the, what does the serpent say to them? Well, did God really say that? I mean, come on, is that what he really, I mean, what did he mean? He said, don't eat from the tree. I don't think you have to think about what he meant. I think you just need to do what he said. Look at your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you right now. You know, we're not, we don't need an interpretation of what God has said. That's why we have nothing that is sacred today in our world, because we've interpreted everything. You know, we say that, you know, marriage is between, in our church, it's between a man and a woman. But the world is interpreting that as different. Marriage is whoever you're in love with. You can just marry whatever. God made them male and female. Not male to turn into female and female to turn into male. Are you all here? So I don't think that it needed interpreting by the church or, 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 the, or humanity to try to figure out. When God said, do not commit adultery, he, he didn't say, well, you try to figure out what adultery means, okay? You can put your own definition to what adultery is. Pastor, this is really good. Thank you. Now, he's able to save us to the uttermost because he is our Savior. That's what he wants to do, that he wants to save you. The Bible tells us that in the book of James, that the engrafted word is able to save our soul, that it will will cleanse our thinking, that we not just be conformed to the world, but to be metamorpho, to be transformed, to become something altogether different than what we were before. I, you didn't know me back before Jesus, but I can promise you I am altogether different than that guy. But I'm not done. Are you listening to me? I'm not done. In 10 years, I will be altogether different than what I am right now. I'll be more Christ-like in my, because that's what the power of salvation does in our lives. It doesn't just save us just for a little bit. It sanctifies us spirit, soul, and body, according to the book of 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Jesus said to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That it is the blood of Christ that now gives us access to that great salvation that Jesus has provided for every one of us. Can you say amen? amen. One of my favorite illustrations of what Jesus did for us is this story about a man that fell into a pit and tried to get out, could not get out. He was stuck in this pit and he could not get out. A Buddhist walked by and said to him, your pit is only a state of mind. A Hindu walked by and said, the pit is for purging you and making you more perfect. Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you would never have fallen into that pit. A new age person said, maybe you should network with some other pit dwellers. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything till you've seen my pit. The realist said, yeah, that's a pit. <laughs> An idealist said, that would, the world shouldn't have pits. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. 
But Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, got down into the pit and lifted the man out of the pit. You know, it's easy for everybody to stand back. That's what Jesus, our Savior, did for us. He could have stood back and, you know, pointed at us and say, well, you deserve to be in the pit. You should have been paying attention to where you were going. You shouldn't have, you know, done what you've done. What Jesus did not spend any of his time doing that. He got down into the pit and lifted us up out of the pit. And aren't you glad for that? Because he's our Savior. Now, look. There are levels of revelation that we all experience. And so you say, well, I already, under, I already believe Jesus is my Savior. Can I just tell you that there are depths of revelation you have not gotten into yet in that area? There is so much more to know about that. So much more. You know, Christ, according to Galatians 3.13, says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is anyone that hangs on the tree. That redemption, the curse that's broken. You know, if you do a study about this hanging on the tree, why it says that cursed is anyone that hangs on the tree, that it was the custom of, of the people, uh, and they, which was taught by God, that when they would overcome a land, that uh, an area, that what they were to do was to take the king and to hang the king on a tree. And the reason they would hang that king on a tree was so that the curse from that king's leadership would go on that king and would die with him so they would hang him on that tree. And here's how long they hung him on the tree, till sundown. You know that Jesus hung on the cross for you and I until the sun went down. Because the curse that you and I deserved, Jesus has taken off the land for us. He's taken off the land for us. That we have the right to look at our land. You know, those of you that have gardens... You should be looking at those gardens and say, this is a prosperous, overflowing, abundant garden because Christ has redeemed. See, what the, taking the curse off is taking it beyond just that you get to go to heaven. It begins to transcend into every aspect of your life. That you can look at your business and say, though my business is in the world, my business is not of the world. My business does not have the curse. My business has the blessing that God has decreed. And so when you're struggling, and there will always be that tempted. We struggled at times here too, just you know what we need, what we've got to be able to do, what we're believing for. But don't buy into narratives that are th these narratives that are not according to the scripture, that lack is not according to the scripture. You know, if you're struggling and you're, you know, you're, you're like, well, you know, we, we can't do this. We can't do that because we don't have enough because, well, look, is that the definitive? Is that the end of the story? Or are, are you going to only allow, are you only going to focus on your lack and not on the surplus that God has decreed for you? Well, I went to the bank to borrow money so I could start a business and they said, no, then go to another bank. Well, they said, I need to clean my credit up. Well, duh, clean your credit up. Are you listening? I mean, how complicated is that? It's not complicated. But see, what we do is we just give in to the lack. That's the curse. The curse is about lack. You read Deuteronomy 28. I'm doing way better preaching than you guys are shouting right now. <laughs> You read Deuteronomy 28, it's all about lack. It's about no food. It's about no things. It's about you, you watching your kids wander off. It's about all these things. It's all about lack. Christ has redeemed us 
from the curse. It's off your life. You're not under the curse anymore. He redeemed us. So my point with this, though, it was, is, was to say, look, there is revelation that you and I still need to grow into of this Christ, our Jesus, our Savior, that Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is also our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, he'll give you another helper that will be to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So they knew the Holy Spirit was with them, they just knew the Holy Spirit was not in them. Acts 1, 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Mark 1.8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from, the, uh, from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Here's how they knew, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter went on and declared that why should these not be permitted to be baptized. Acts 19, 6. When Paul laid his hands on the, the, these people that believed in the Lord, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, the thing with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and this is where, this is where the, the, the confusion gets in, and it's on the issue of tongues. Because if we talked about, if we talked about that we're going to lay hands on you so that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you would get the power that Jesus purchased for you, and that it is Jesus that would baptize you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we just left it at that, okay? And we just left it at that. Then believers would not struggle with this. It would never have become an issue in the church. But what happened was, is, is that we somehow in a, the thinking, the issue became all about tongues. It became about, well, yeah, but, but, you know, do I have to speak in tongues? Well, the, you don't have to do anything, all right? You don't have to do anything. But it does say in Acts chapter 2 that when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues. What ends up happening to us in the way that we, we, we're, we're taking the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and confusing it with receiving the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't come to receive tongues, you come to receive power. Jesus didn't say, but you will receive tongues when the Spirit comes on you. He said, they didn't have a clue what was going I mean, you do understand that, right? They had no idea what was going on. Because what he had told them is in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. So they just took it for what he said. It was by when the Spirit began to give them utterances. And remember, they weren't making up tongues. They weren't trying to make themselves speak in tongues. 
They didn't have people laying hands on them going, start saying these words and you'll speak in tongues. Are you all here? The Spirit gave them utterance. There was a voice that they were hearing coming from the inner witness of the Holy Spirit speaking these things, and they began to speak those utterances. So here's what, here, here's what, what I want you to do. Forget about the idea of tongues for right now and just begin to ask and seek being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Smith Wigglesworth, who uh, besides Jesus probably raised more people from the dead, Wigglesworth was a powerful man of God. I mean, he was used mightily. He was, just a, he was a plumber. Uh, that was his education, okay? He was a plumber. But what happened is he started learning about healing and started, and he gave his life to Christ. I mean, he was a mean plumber too. I mean, he gave his life to Christ. And I mean, it was a great transformation. He learned about healing, but he wanted the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But along the way, Wigglesworth got confused about the baptism in the Holy Spirit because his church background was Salvation Army. And so what he did is, is he started saying, I want to be able to speak in tongues. And so he started seeking tongues. And the Lord told him, and specifically, Smith, you're seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit, not speaking in tongues. Stop seeking the speaking in tongues. That'll take care of itself. Just seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? See how much that would just take all the confusion out of it? But what we're doing, and especially in our Pentecostal churches, we've really, we've really made, I do believe everybody can speak. In, I absolutely believe it's God's will for you to speak in tongues. I have no doubt about that, that every believer can speak in tongues. Every, it's God's plan. But I also know this, if we, if we continue to focus on the manifestations instead of on the person of the Holy Spirit filling our lives, all we're doing is looking at an attribute. We're not looking at the source. Man, I hope I can say that in the second service. God wants you full of the Holy Spirit because that is the, 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 and why? So that you can be a witness of his resurrection in this life. Not just so that you can sit at home and go, man, I'm full of power, I got power, glory to God, I got power, ooh, I'm full of power, hallelujah. Not just so you can sit around and speak in tongues, but so that you can manifest the works of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can manifest the works of the Spirit in, in, in praying for people and being used. When the disciples were pressured, and we don't have time to turn to this, but in Acts chapter 4, when the disciples were pressured, they asked the Lord, they said, Lord, stretch out your hand with signs and wonders and through your holy child, Jesus, and do many signs and wonders and miracles. And the Bible says that these who had already been baptized in the Holy Spirit were refilled again with the Holy Spirit and when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out and spoke the word boldly and were used miraculously to touch and change people's lives. You say, well, pastor, I was prayed for years ago to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, I mean, I, I mean, that was like 20 years ago. And uh, is that good enough? And the answer is no. Because you've leaked too much since then. We should be freshly baptized and this is Jesus's plan for our lives that we should be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis 
and that we are going forth in that power and demonstration of the Spirit. It changes the way that we deal with things when we walk with the power that we know that we have. We're much more bolder in circumstances. Much more bolder in circumstances. I'm going to run out of time here but, but, uh, on this one. But, but listen, if you come up here today for prayer, for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you just to lay aside the tongues issue for right now. I just want you to say, God, I want the fullness of the Spirit in my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. They did not go around praying for people to get tongues. And if you seek the manifestation, you will miss the source. The Holy Spirit is not tongues. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak in tongues. But we don't worship tongues. Moving right along. Revelation. Revelation. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our healer. Matthew 8, 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. It isn't any plainer than that, is it? He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Acts 4, 29 through 30 is where I was just talking about. And the Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Is anyone sick among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the, save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So God's plan is not only, Jesus is not just to you and I, our Savior, He's not just a baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He is our healer as well. Now, this has come under just as much attack as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is, is that we try to take our circumstantial evidence to define what healing is all about. So someone comes up for prayer for healing, okay? And we pray for them, and they go back to their chair, and they're not better, all right? They're, they're, there's no visible change that's happened to them. And what the church has done through the years is then somehow started to create this idea in it that, well, maybe it wasn't God's will for them to be healed. Because we did what God said. See how that is so contradictory. All right, we did what God said, but they didn't get healed. So God must have had a different plan than what he said. Well, do you hear how dumb that is? God isn't double-minded. I mean, you got to look at all Scripture. God says, look, I'm God. I change not. I'm God. I don't lie. <laughs> it's impossible for, man, for God to lie. So what God is saying is, look, my plan is to heal you because that's what I've done. I've come and provided healing for the believer. Healing is just like salvation. You were healed through the cross of Calvary, you are healed because of what Jesus did for you, and you will be healed as you continue to appropriate 
the benefits of the covenant you have with God. We get in our mindset at times with healing that, well, healing is, is that we, we, if God so chooses, like God has a healing button, and he pushes that button whenever he feels like healing somebody. But everybody else, he goes, no, no heal. No, no healing for you, only for a few. And I've heard all kinds of theological garbage about this, and it's garbage, because when you start trying to take what, there are reasons people are not healed, there are absolutely reasons people are not healed. But God is not one of the reasons. God is not one of the reasons because he does not change. You say, well, pastor, what if you died? You were believing for healing and you died. Or what if your wife was believing for healing and she died? That does not change what God has said. See, don't take your circumstances and reevaluate it back to what God has said and try to define what God has said in the context of what you're dealing with. What you do is, is that you look at what God has said and you define your context by based off what God has said. Healing is such a great benefit to the church. And we should not, you know, look, man, we should not be, uh, be broken down by sickness and disease. I mean, we're going to die. All of us are going to die as long as Jesus, I mean, you know, we're, eventually we just, you know, are, we're done, okay? It's going to happen. But I don't believe that it's God's plan that he's like, yeah, well, I want you just, you know, I've heard people say stuff like, well, you know, we just get so broken down, finally we're just asking God to take us. Or everybody we know is dead, so we're just asking God to take us. Well, you need to meet some new people, one, <laughs> okay? <laughs> <laughs> you need to get out a little bit more, all right? But the other thing is, is that it's not God. And look, you don't believe that it's God's will for you to be broken down anyways because you're going to the doctor to get help now as it is. And if you think that's God's will, then you decide to give in to it and quit going. No, in your very nature, and see, this is where the enemy, remember what I said. What does the devil do? He says, did God really say that? Is that what God meant by that? Well, pastor, we know people that have gotten healed, but is it God's will to heal everyone? Wait, look, I'm just telling you, I, there's places in the Bible that Jesus was in towns and he healed them all. He healed them all. Well, that must just be a special deal. Well, I, I don't have time. Like I said, I'm just kind of surf, cutting through the surface of this and trying to put questions in your mind so you'll start studying your Bible. Or at least start asking people questions that know how to give the right answers. Amen. But Jesus was in a place and there was his, he, the Bible tells us, this is in Mark, I think it's chapter, uh, I think it's four. Anyways, Mark, he's, in, he's in this one building and it says the power of the Lord was present to heal. He was teaching and so if the power of the Lord was present to heal, there were sick people that were there. Nobody was getting healed. Nothing was happening. It wasn't until the woman, or excuse me, it wasn't until the four friends opened the roof of a house and dropped their sick friend down inside that, that, that anybody got healed. You know why no one got healed in that room? Because no one thought Jesus was a healer. 
And there is a difference between I believe in healing and Jesus is my healer. Because, see, when you say Jesus is my healer, then you are bringing all of the attributes of who Jesus is, his character, his nature, his integrity. Say integrity. The integrity of Jesus into that situation. Not just that God, that there's a healing, but that I believe that Jesus is my healer. When I come up here for prayer and these guys lay their hands on me, I absolutely believe if I put my faith that Jesus is the one touching me right now and they are just a representative of Christ, that the very power that flowed in Israel and in Jerusalem and all throughout the, the land where Jesus was at, that very power from the Holy Spirit is flowing into my body and healing my body as well. Amen. Jesus is our soon and coming King. Last one. The revelation. Now this one comes under just as much attack, and I'll show you how it comes under attack. First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry and of a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Titus 2, 11, verse 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, this is tough. And I can tell you right now that this is not an attribute that a lot of God's people are seeking after. That I would train myself to renounce ungodliness worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright, godly life in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's, the, here's what happens. See, because we've got this, they've been talking about Jesus coming back for a long time. I mean, in 1988, we were pretty sure he was coming because a book was written called 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming in 88. And I mean, I actually had people in my church in Marietta that were just like, you better get ready. Everybody better get ready. You better get the sin out of your life. You better, you better get ready. I mean, he's coming. And, and, and look, if you're not ready, you're not going. And they used to teach in the Nazarene church. If you're in a movie theater and Jesus comes back, you're not going to heaven. Right? So you had all these things that people were saying, and it was all about, we need to clean up, we need to straighten up. Why? Because they thought he was coming back right now. So now what happens when the church doesn't exactly think he's coming back right now? We get as sloppy and undisciplined and worldly. <laughs> we get cluttered with stuff, right? Because we don't have that sense of that today could be the very day. I mean, I doubt very seriously most of us got up this morning saying today could be the day the Lord could come. And I'll be in church so I know I'll go. <laughs> right? No, we don't think that way. But the disciples are charged, and you and I as disciples are charged to be looking to Jesus as our soon and coming king. To live our lives in a revelation of understanding that, that the Lord's coming back. And he's coming back in the clouds and there's going to be a trumpet. And by the time, look, if you didn't go when the trumpet went off, you're not going right now. 
You say, well, who's not going to go? Well, you know, I don't really get to decide that. I can tell you people that didn't go that when Jesus talked about it and when he talked about the, the, the ten virgins, he said there were five foolish and five wise. Five had prepared, five were not prepared. Five had determined to have enough to make it for the long haul and five were like not ready. And the, they said the Lord is coming and when the time came, he, the master came and took the five that were ready and the other five were out trying to find fuel for their fire. Look, I want to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. I want to be focused on what Jesus has said. You know, I appreciate all the things that we get to enjoy in this life, and thank God for them. I love to enjoy life just as much as anybody else, and I love to have fun, and I love to, to be a part of, you know, of experience the joy and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit that the Lord has declared in his word. But I also got to live my life recognizing that I can't be a garbage pail for everything that's going on in the world and letting junk in my life and somehow thinking that it will not mess me up. Watchman Nee, who, if you've ever read any of his books, God bless you. They're so long and they're so, he wrote a book called The Spirit Man that is so long and it's just over and over saying the same thing over until you're just like, please, can we move to the next subject? But one of the things that he talked about, which has really stuck with me, he said, you know, you could take water and you can run it through a sink and, and you could put, a, put your cup at the end of that drain and you could drink the water out of that sink. And it would be just fine. It would be if it, as long as the drain is clear. But you could throw garbage into that sink and let it set in that drain and then run water through it and put your cup underneath that drain and would you still drink that same water? Well, it depends how thirsty you are, I suppose. But the truth is, would we choose water that is pure or would we choose water that is tainted by the garbage? See, what happens for the believer is, is that as they look for the revelation of that soon and coming king, Jesus Christ, it does something inside of us. It causes us to live our lives with an awareness that no matter what's going on around us, that there is going to be a point of time somewhere here where the dead in Christ are going to rise and those who are alive and remain are out of here as well. And that we shouldn't wait until we think we just heard a trumpet to start straightening our lives out. And now we're back to Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Savior. Stand with me if you would. Thank you, Father. Father, this morning, we are grateful. We just stand in gratitude. Your only Son that you sent to be our Savior, to be our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, to be our healer, and to be our soon and coming King. God, in our lives today, each of us listening to this message, we, we reflect into different aspects of our life. Where am, I, where am I not allowing Jesus to be that in my life right now? Where am I not allowing him to be that? And Lord, that we would submit ourselves, that, 
that by your spirit, we, you said that Peter had this revelation because the father revealed, uh, took something that was covered and uncovered it and showed, God, show us, uncover our hearts and show us, Lord God, where we're not walking in the fullness of what you have given for us and the benefits that you have procured for each and every one of us as believers. And I ask it in Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come to the altar right now. And uh, I know Chuck's going to come, but look, you know, in all those attributes, if you're here today and you feel, look, Pastor, my life's not right with God, then let's get it right before you leave here, okay? And it's not about, remember, Jesus gets in the pit with you. He doesn't stand outside the pit and tell you how bad you are in the pit. He tries to get you out of the pit. And so that's what he's here to do. If you're struggling with sickness and disease in your body today, but I want to take it to a different, another level, because we tend to focus on things like cancer and, and uh, you know, heart trouble. If you emotionally are in a battle right now, for example, you're battling anger, really bad anger. I mean, it's an anger that you're just restraining. You know that you've got it, but you're just pulling it back, and you've been able to keep it kind of under control, but that anger... That emotion of anger and frustration is very high in your life right now. Look, you need to lay that at the foot of the cross this morning. You don't want to leave here with that. That's not God. That is not God, and it is not what God wants for you. God wants you to have a peace in your soul. And so that's available to you, I believe, here at the altar today. Any area, obviously, with healing, Jesus has made provision for. And I want you to set your faith this morning as you come for prayer that when they lay their hands on you, that it is Jesus putting his hands on you. That he's releasing his anointing. It's his power, not our power. It's his Holy Spirit. That It's the Holy Spirit, excuse me, that's working through the laying on of hands. Amen.